So David picked up this morning on um, kind of post-Easter realities and a new reality after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as I was thinking about this evening, I was thinking about a couple of weeks after Easter, which is what we are now. And uh, it took me to this passage in John 21 and uh, a post-Easter encounter between Jesus and his uh, disciples. And, And Josh read the first section there um, of that encounter, the fact that the the disciples had gone out to fish, they were back at the Sea of Galilee, and and Jesus came and appeared on the shore and challenged them to throw down their nets on the other side, and then this encounter with uh, with Jesus on the the shore of of Galilee. I remember going to Israel a a few years ago, and we went to Capernaum, which was the, the home of Peter, and, um, and Jesus um, for a while, and there's a, there's a statue there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee marking this encounter between Jesus and Peter, and I remember just going and looking out over the, the Sea of Galilee and walking along the shore and just kind of picturing this scene, this, this pivotal, powerful restoration of Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, closed my eyes and imagined what it was like and, and the, the views and uh, the environment. John 21 and the restoration of Peter by Jesus, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and it really shows us a God of the second chance. It shows us that past failures do not have to disqualify you from future fruitfulness. It shows us the amazing grace of God in and through Jesus Christ. It gives hope to every stumbling and faltering follower of Jesus who has messed up and melted down. It shows us the answer to Jesus' prayer for Peter that he prayed earlier on, Simon, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, and after you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And it's a rallying cry for all of us to love and to follow Jesus in this post-Easter reality. And there's two questions that come out of this passage that I want us to think about tonight. The first question is, do you love Jesus? And the second is, will you follow him? Do you love Jesus? And will you follow him? The law of love and the lure of grace and the gospel. Do you love Jesus more than all this? Uh, That's the question that Jesus asks Peter and from verse 15 of chapter 21. When they had finished eating, they'd had breakfast together on the shore. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Three years earlier, uh, in the same spot, these very men had been fishing at this very lake. And on that occasion, we read about it in Luke chapter 5, they had also worked through the night, the same kind of scenario, is a kind of a mirror image of this event in John 21. They had worked through the night, they had caught nothing. And, and then as now, Jesus had told them to put their nets down on the other side of the boat. And it feels like, as we're reading this in John 21, that we're actually reading a, a slow motion replay of three years earlier. It's exactly the kind of the same scenario, the Sea of Galilee, fishing all night, catching nothing, put your nets down on the other side, a tremendous catch. And maybe sometimes you feel 
in your faith like you're going round in circles and I'm, I'm here again and I'm facing the same issues or the, the same uh, things in my life that I did three years ago or however long ago. It's the same sea, it's the same boat, it's the same futile night of fishing and Jesus standing on the shore. And it's at this moment <coughs> that John in this John 21 passage, sees Jesus and recognizes him and shouts to the disciples in the boat, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. Out on the shore, 100 yards away, it's the Lord calling us. The risen Lord. And it's, it's been an amazing three years since the last time they were here. Since the last time they'd encountered Jesus on this seashore. It's been a roller coaster ride of emotions and experience. There have been some astounding miracles that they've seen. They've seen crowds of people coming to hear Jesus. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen people craning to hear his teaching. They've traveled across the region with him. <clears throat> people have come to receive his power. And there have also been some quiet moments of solitude and intimacy with the disciples. And Jesus, him teaching them, him eating with them, laughing with them, drinking with them, walking with them, chastising them, washing their feet. And on the water, on the mountain, away from the crowds, he's eaten with them, he's taught them so much, he's rebuked them and he's prayed for them. But the last days that they've experienced have been so tumultuous and so challenging. Jesus has been arrested before their eyes. They all ran for their lives. Even Peter said, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be there. If everyone else leaves you, I won't. And of course, Peter ran and hid with the rest of them. And now I guess they are thinking and wondering if it was all an illusion, a, a cul-de-sac, a dead end of disappointment and disillusionment. And Peter says, I'm, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I did before. This just hasn't worked out the way that we all expected it. Those heady days of Jesus teaching, the highlights, those moments of miraculous power, the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. But here we are, and I'm going fishing. And sometimes things and life do not turn out the way that we thought they would. And here they are, they go back fishing back at the Sea of Galilee where it all Started. They seem to have gone backwards like some kind of game of spiritual snakes and ladders. And now Peter has an exchange with the Savior, which is a crucial turning point for him individually and for the apostles and for the wider church. And Jesus asks Peter this fundamental question, do you love me more than all of this, Peter? This is a question that I think gets to the crux of what it is to follow Jesus. Do you love me more than these? more than the fishing, more than this way of life, more than these nets, more than this familiar territory. And Peter responds to this question of Jesus and he says, Lord, you know that I love you. And he really does love Jesus. And Jesus repeats the question a second time. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And with relentless scrutiny on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus looks Peter in the eye and he says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, and Peter's cut to the quick at this. 
moment cut to the heart and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The memory is very fresh in Peter's mind of another charcoal fire and another threefold question. And that time he was asked three times, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of Jesus' disciples, aren't you? And three times, like Jesus said he would, Peter denies that he knows Jesus, that he's one of his followers. Three times he fails. Three times he denies. The same question asked three times, and this is on his conscience. And now, in the smell of the same kind of charcoal fire, he's taken back to that moment. Peter's asked, has denied Jesus three times. So Jesus requires this elementary and yet profound confession as he gently and purposefully restores Peter and reminds him of his calling. And I guess the question to Peter is, Peter, why are we back here? Back at the same nets, back on the same shore, back by these waters, back having the same conversation. If I want fish, Peter, I can... I can catch fish. I can get fish. What I need, Peter, is someone to feed my lambs. What I want and need, Peter, is someone to take care of my sheep. What I need is someone who will pastor and lead my followers. What I need is someone who who will preach the gospel and defend the faith. I need someone who will do this out of love for me, Peter, who truly loves me and will follow me and make disciples. So, Peter, I'm asking you for the second time, as I asked you three years ago, I'm asking you to leave all of this behind you. And instead of catching fish, I want you to catch men and I want you to catch women for the gospel, to teach and to testify. I'm asking you to labor and to serve loyally until the day comes when they will do to you, Peter, what they did to me. When you will be led away in a way that you don't want to be led away and you will be clothed in a way that you don't want to be clothed. And by this he indicated the death by which Peter would die and Legend has it that Peter was crucified like Jesus, only upside down. And the basis for all of this, the basis that Jesus is building, rebuilding this ministry of Peter, the failed, fallen Peter, the one that denied Jesus, the one that messed up, the the fundament, the basis, the foundation of it all is love. Now, the Beatles sang many years ago, love is all you need. Love is all you need. And... In many ways, the Bible kind of says something quite similar. In that, in, in the Old Testament, there was something called the Shema. The Shema, and that is the Hebrew word for listen or hear. Hear, O Israel, Shema. Listen, hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, the command to you as the people of God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself is what Jesus added to it. So when the the young ruler came to Jesus and said, which is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Jesus, which which one is the most important? And Jesus said, the most important command is to love God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And he said, to love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else comes together around this great commandment, the love of God. Do you love me, Peter? That's the foundation for following me. Do you love me? The foundation for following Jesus, for serving Jesus, is to love him, is to have a relationship with him. Your failures and your past are what they are. You cannot undo them or rewrite them. In some ways, you may feel like you've gone backwards in your faith. 
like some game of spiritual snakes and ladders. And you find yourself back where you started. But God in his love and mercy and grace still comes to you and still calls you and still challenges you in love to follow him. And like Petrie commissions us, having put our hand to the plow, not to look back, but to love him wholeheartedly and follow him completely. Love for Jesus is the central mandate and the compelling motivation for following Jesus over the long haul. Everything comes from that. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing, recognizes this. He sees through the fatuousness, the emptiness, the hollowness of life, and even apparently successful and impressive ministry that does not have love at the core of it. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. These three remain, Paul says, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's foundational, Paul says. And you can do all the ministry stuff and all the church stuff, and you can do it really well, and you can do it apparently successfully, and you can do it in demonstration of God's power, but if it's not undergirded with, and if it's not built around, and if it's not founded on love, the love of God and the love for God, then it won't ultimately have any eternal consequence. And Paul sees this, and he challenges the church in Corinth, and he says that love is at the very heart of who we are and what we do. And the same principle applies when Jesus speaks to John, the apostle John, on the island of Patmos, and he challenges him to write these letters and the revelation of Jesus Christ to the seven churches, and he writes to one church, the church in Ephesus. And something very similar to what the apostle Paul has expressed, is expressed through Jesus to John, to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and found them liars, and you've persevered, and you have patience, and I've labored for my name's sake, and you've not become weary. It's a great kind of list of things that this great church in Ephesus has done. Nevertheless, I have this against you, Jesus says. You've left your first love. You've left your love for me. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. And so Jesus comes back to Peter, who he has looked across a charcoal fire before outside the courtyard when Peter said, I don't know who the effing guy is that you're talking about. I have want nothing to do with him. I'm not one of his followers. And he started to curse and he started to swear and he started to deny Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and Jesus brings back that moment as he stands by another charcoal fire and, and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Because this is the foundation that we can move forward on. This is the foundation of a relationship with me. This is the way that you will feed my lambs and you will feed my sheep and you will look after and build my church and you will be used greatly by God. So whether it's Jesus or whether it's the apostle Paul, 
or whether it's Jesus through John in the, in the church in the Revelation, the foundation is love. And the question that Jesus asks is, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I guess he still asks us the question today in that we can get so taken up like the Corinthians or like the Ephesians. We can get so taken up with ministry. We can get so taken up with doing the stuff that we forget what it is to truly love Jesus and truly be in relationship with him and walk with him. And ultimately, deep down, Peter really did love Jesus. He really did love him and he really did want to follow him. Do you truly love me, Jesus asks us, more than all of this stuff? That's the law of love. For us, it may not be fishing, but there are many things that compete with God for the love and affection of our hearts, the focus of our minds, and the exercise of our energy and strength, and these can include worthwhile pursuits, Christian ministry, possessions, relationships. The call of Jesus to every one of his disciples, to every one of us, is to love him. It's to love him, first and foremost, before anything else. And all of the law, this is the law of love, all of the law, and all of the prophets. It's all summed up in this, Jesus said. It goes back to the ancient Shema. It goes back to the foundational principle of, of loving God. Augustine said, the ancient church father, love God and then do what you want. Because if love is at the foundation and the core of who we are, we will serve him wholeheartedly and sacrificially. And love covers over a multitude of sins. The law of love. That's the first question that Jesus asks. And it's a powerful question. And he still asks us that today. And there are moments where we revisit perhaps old scenes and old familiar uh, parts of our lives. And go back again to our first love. Peter remembers that first time that he met Jesus on this seashore. The first time that Jesus asked him to follow him. The first time that Jesus said, put your nets down on the other side. The first time that he encountered this, this would-be Messiah. And here he is again, walking with him, having had breakfast with him, answering the question in the affirmative three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And I think many of us are there tonight as followers of Jesus, and we need to go back to that place again and again and again. No matter how old we are, how long we've been walking with God, it's still the fundamental question of the Christian faith. Do you love Jesus? And the second question arises out of that. Will you follow him? Will you follow him? Jesus says here the words again to Peter, follow me. He said it to him three years before. It's the same command, follow me. As he re restores Peter with this threefold confession of love, Jesus commissions G uh, Peter to, to feed and care for the lambs and the sheep, uh, the body of Christ, repeating the call of three years earlier, follow me, the same words, the same place, going to the core of the calling that is on Peter's life, follow me. And that initial encounter, which is recorded in Luke chapter five, mirrors in many ways John 21, as I said, but it differs in one major way. If we read the two accounts side by side, in the Luke five account, when Peter encounters Jesus, his response is to run away from him. He says to Jesus, when Jesus says, follow me, and when, when, when Jesus performs the miracle of catching the fish, as he does, Peter falls down on his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Depart from me, I am a sinful man. That is Peter's response three years earlier. 
Now, in the same, in the same way, the, the same story seems to mirror in so many ways the boat, the night of hopeless fishing, the command to put the nets down on the other side, the great catch of fish, the command to follow Jesus. But in the first instance, in Luke 5, Peter says, he runs away from Jesus. He says, depart from me, Jesus, because I am sinful. But in this account, in John chapter 21, for a long time, you see, Peter thought that the, the call to follow Jesus depended on him and his righteousness, his good enoughness, which is where Peter fell down ultimately because he was depending on his own strength. He was depending on his own ability. Lord, you can wash everybody else's feet, but you're not going to wash mine. Lord, everybody else might leave you and forsake you, but I won't because I'm star pupil. I'm Peter, and I will follow you in my own strength. And, and there was something about Peter which was a kind of a good enoughness about him, a, a self-righteousness, which many of us live in, and many people live in that, that I am good enough to encounter Jesus or, or, or trying to do it in my own strength. But when he came up against the, the holiness and the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, he said, Lord, depart from me because I am a sinful man. The first time, counting on his own abilities, Peter runs away from Jesus. Get away from me, Jesus. I am too sinful. But this time, in John 21, in verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. <laughs> and as soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, It's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. And he started to swim and wade as fast as he could towards Jesus. He waded, he swam, he walked, he ran towards Jesus. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Come and have breakfast. Because now... Peter understands something that he didn't understand earlier. He understands the lure of grace and the truth of the gospel. And that it ultimately doesn't depend on him, but on the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. We sing, you call me to your purpose, as angels understand. For your glory may you draw all men, as your love and grace demands. And I will run to you, to your words of truth. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. Yes, I will run the race till I see your face. Let me live in the glory of your grace. And the three years that separate these two events of running away from Jesus and running towards Jesus is a final, a final recognition by Peter of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the lure of the gospel and the grace of God. We get distracted and diverted on the pathway that we follow Jesus as we seek to follow him, just like John Bunyan's pilgrim. Some of us end up in the slough of despond. Some of us on the hill of difficulty, on the plain called ease. Some of us enter the valley of the shadow of death. But Peter went back to the water. He went back to what was familiar to him. And for a while, he thought the game was over. He thought he had disqualified himself by denying Jesus because he couldn't get past his past. But the same calling comes to him from the lips of Jesus. Follow me, Peter. 
This time, the great motivation is love. And the underlying force is grace and the gospel. And this time, it won't be on Peter's terms or in Peter's strength. It will be in the strength and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. And it will be an answer to Jesus' prayer for him. I have prayed for you, Simon. You will fail, you will fall, but after you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. We all face times of disorientation, discouragement, and failure. I remember a time when I was walking with my family back in Ainsworth, the village where I grew up. It was snowing, and uh, I think I was probably questioning a few things. And we walked up to the fence. The, the fields were covered with snow, and there were, there were just sheep everywhere. And I, I remembered the call of God again to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The sheep are hungry. Feed them. A field full of sheep. The calling of God. And I have found in my own life that there are different junctures where God calls us afresh. Follow me. Do you love me? Follow me. And it's not a one-off call sometimes. I remember when I was baptized in water and I was 11 years old and I remember uh, we singing the songs that we used to sing after we got baptized. We sang this old chorus, follow, follow. I will follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere. I will follow him. And I, I sang it and I meant it as an 11-year-old. But then there was a time when I left home at 18 and I went to university and there was another time where I had to decide I was going to follow Jesus. And then there was a time when we moved to Germany and there was a decision to follow Jesus. And there was difficulties in church life and there was ups and downs of faith and there were moments of failure and there were moments of, of being dejected and there were moments of having had enough of church and ha having had enough of it all. And the call came again. Do you love me? Will you follow me? Do you love me? Will you follow me? And it comes to us at different junctures of our life. When we're young, it comes to us. And we have choices to make for our careers and who we're going to marry or whether we're going to live the single life or, or which path we're going to go down. And the call comes to every one of us, particularly in our youth. And I felt it very strongly when I was a young person. Do you love me? Will you follow me? I remember being at youth camps and, and, and listening to these songs. I will abandon it all for the sake of the call and the sense of the call of God. And I remember being in meetings where the skin, the, 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 you know, skin stood up, your hair stood up on, on, on its end. And, and there was a sense of God's presence and there was a sense of calling and there was a, the dramatic and there was... There, was the, there were the altar calls and there was, there was the intensity of emotion and there was, I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you. And, and those calls came again and again. And sometimes we come back to where we started. And then we may have kids or, or may not. And, and then we go through different parts and different phases of our life and we might get a, a little bit older. And Peter is older and he's wiser and he's had some of the stuffing knocked out of him. Jesus looks him in the eyes and he says, do you love me, Peter? Because that's the foundation and it always will be. And will you follow me? The love, the law of love and the lure of grace. I've said before, um, I've given this illustration before from Philip Yance's book, Vanishing Grace. And he quotes a survey done by Mark Rutland on the healing and redemptive grace of God. And he came up with these three Phrases, the, the things that people most love to hear, and we've, I've, I've mentioned it a number of times, but the phrases that people most love to hear, 
And as, as Mark Rutland did this survey work, he found three phases particularly that came out, out top. The first phrase that people most love to hear is, I love you. I love you. And the second phrase that people most love to hear is, I forgive you. And the third phrase that people most love to hear is, supper is ready. (laughs) Or the food is ready. Or dinner is ready. And we have such a moment here with Jesus and Peter. We have Jesus saying, I love you, Peter, and I always have and I always will. (laughs) And I forgive you, and breakfast is ready. Come and eat. (laughs) Come and have some fish and some bread. The healing of a memory and the restoration of a fallen disciple. Signs, sights, and sounds, and smells can be so evocative, can't they? You can smell something that reminds you of something or a time. You can you, you say, oh that, oh, that reminds me so strongly of that time or a, a sight. And I'm sure that as Peter is, is eating this fish, he's smelling the charcoal fire, he's taken right back to that moment of denial. And, and Jesus restores him. And now, Peter, I love you. I forgive you. And come and eat. And Jesus does this with each one of us. He restores us through times of our lives. He forgives us. He loves us. He replenishes us. He feeds us. He lays a table for us, the Bible says, in the presence of our enemies. And there is something wonderful, I think, about a God who sends angels to make a meal for a tired and depressed prophet. Or one who rains down food on a fleeing people in the desert. Or a saviour who cooks bread and fish for some tired and weary followers. And I think that's the heart of Jesus towards every one of us. He will do the same for you. He loves you. He knows what you need. He's gracious and compassionate. His mercies and compassions are new every day. And I guess the same question comes to us every one of us, and it doesn't just come once, sometimes it's repeated. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow him when you're old? (laughs) Will you follow him when you're young? Whatever stage of life you're in, what is the tenure for following Jesus? When does following Jesus expire or go beyond its date? (laughs) David, we read in the Bible, served the purpose of God in his generation, and then he died. You can stop following Jesus when you die, but not before. Until then, you are to serve the purposes of God in your generation while you still have breath. Whether you're 17 or 70, whether you're 18 or 80, the calling still stands. The outworking will change for sure. You may not minister in the same way. You may be in a different place, a different season. You may be faced with different openings and opportunities. But Jesus still asks you the same question that he always asks. Do you love me more than all of this? The law of love. And will you follow me? The lure of grace. And like an 11-year-old that sang, follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. We can still sing that. Whatever age we are, whatever stage in life we are. This is a great chapter, John 21. It's an encounter with Jesus, the risen Jesus, two weeks after Easter. And it is a great reinstatement of Peter. And we see him go on (laughs) 
to preach on the day of Pentecost, to be a founding father of the church, to be used greatly by God. It's never too late to be used by God. It's never too late for a second chance. So let me pray for you. David was talking this morning about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that new reality, that promise of Jesus, you will receive power. Now wait, wait for this gift. I won't leave you alone. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways, one of the works of the Holy Spirit in our lives, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit works in us is to increase our sense of the love of God to receive the love of God for ourselves, but also to give the love of God to others. And there's a passage in Romans that talks about God pouring out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. I want to take you back to the foundations of, of love. Love is, in one sense, all you need. And that sense of first love, that sense of love of Jesus, that sense of relationship, um, that sense of walking with Jesus. Do you love me? And I want to pray for you and for me that the, that, that the Lord will pour out upon us a fresh sense of love, a fresh encounter of love. John Piper calls it Christian hedonism, a sense of just the absolute amazing love of God. And sometimes we do things out of duty and we do things out of compulsion, but there is a sense of the affections of God, the love of God touching us, experiencing it, experiencing the love of God in a in a way that we haven't for a long time, where we receive it and we give it. We receive it and we give it. So Lord, I pray for that love, for that, for that sense of love, the great command of the Shema, to love God with all our heart and soul and mind. And Jesus took us right back to that in the great commandment, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and the reminder from the Apostle Paul and the challenge to the church in Ephesus that you can have all these things. You can be doctrinally pure and you can be on top of your game and you can know the Bible back to front, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. And if we lose our first love, then we need to remember from where we have fallen and to rediscover it. And Lord, I pray uh, for an ongoing outpouring of your Holy Spirit. A spirit of grace, Lord, that just like Peter encountered on this, this great restoration on this seashore, the seashore of Galilee. Lord, no, no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done, no matter uh, where we've been, Lord, we can look into your eyes and we can receive your love and we can give you our love. Say, Lord, you know that I love you and I want to follow you. And Lord, I pray again for that, that sense of calling. Perhaps for some of us, it burned very brightly when we were younger. For some of us, it may be burning very brightly now. And some of us have gotten a little bit older. And that, that kind of burning sense of the call of God may have dissipated a little bit. But Father, I pray into our old age that we might follow Jesus. And the command may come to us again, follow me. Father, I pray that you make some of us so fruitful, Lord, in this phase of our life. The call will come afresh to us, be kindled inside of us again, Lord, through failure and disappointment and dead ends and cul-de-sacs and 
things not turning out the way that we'd expected. And yet, Lord, we can still follow you. And Lord, we want to serve the purpose of God in our generation. So I pray, Lord, the same two questions would arise in our hearts tonight and would be answered in the affirmative. Do you love me? And will you follow me? And Lord, I thank you that you still speak those words to each one of us, those phrases that we are all longing to hear. I love you. I forgive you. Now come and eat. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for your calling on our lives. And I pray that, Lord, we'd live in the reality of that calling every day and that you would pour out your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. May we love you more and may we show your love more to others. And as we love and serve the people of this city and beyond, that we would enable them to become wholehearted followers of Jesus. Let your love permeate our hearts and this place in Jesus' name. Thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord. Amen.